0: You're listening to another episode of Diary of a New Grad Speechy. We are the go to podcast for
1: students and new grad speeches who know a little about a lot, giving you our
0: unprofessional but professional advice that you didn't know you needed. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Top Tips episode. Today is a really interesting episode. We are talking about working with adults.
1: We get so many questions from you guys about working with adults in acute care settings and we felt it was finally time to address your questions and give you some really helpful top tips. But we do have to put a little disclaimer out there that Cassie and I only work with paediatrics and our adult skills are dwindling. So we have had to outsource this information from one of our good friends.
0: Yeah. Thanks, G, if you're listening. Please note that a lot of these tips are dysphagia related as when working in an acute care hospital, your caseload will likely be a lot of dysphagia. Obviously, you would also see communication impairments and things like that. However, keep in mind working in that acute care setting is quite dysphagia heavy. So also just wanted to put that disclaimer out there.
1: This episode is going to be perfect for you guys who have always wondered about what it's like working with adults in the acute care setting or who might already be in this role and just want to brush up on a few skills and just get some extra tips from someone else working in the field.
0: Yeah, definitely. So let's get into it. Ash, what is tip number one? Okay.
1: So as you just said, Cassie, working in the acute care setting is quite dysphagia heavy so the first tip is to brush up on your dysphagia skills and know the difference between oropharyngeal dysphagia and esophageal dysphagia plus you know the typical signs and symptoms of both. Now you might be thinking oh of course like uni already teaches us that but it's really important to really 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 know the difference Because, for example, if you're thinking a client is presenting with esophageal dysphagia, this is going to be a little bit out of a speech pathologist's scope of practice. So it would require intervention from a gastroenterologist.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, Ash, because obviously at uni we learn those three parts of dysphagia, the oral phase, pharyngeal phase, and then esophageal phase. So it is good to know that in that setting, you can outsource that support from the gastroenterologist. What's tip number two? Tip number two is to know your cranial nerves and how they correlate with dysphagia like the back of your hand. (laughs) So so this is going to help you hypothesize what is or what isn't working and help guide your intervention, which is an awesome tip. Yeah. I don't even know if I can remember all of the cranial nerves, to be honest, (laughs) I definitely can't. I'm trying to think. I remember learning mine off a YouTube song because I always got like the start of the letter confused. <laughs> and like whether they had like the motor or sensory innovation, oh god, that was that was the time. That was hard.
1: I loved learning all of that stuff and it's just a shame that in pediatrics you don't really need to know it as much. If I guess if you're working with complex pediatric feeding you definitely need to know but this is something that I don't work in so unfortunately like my adult skills knowing the cranial nerves has also (laughs) fallen off the bandwagon (laughs) all I know is number 10 is Vegas yeah
0: oh there you go what's tip number
1: three Ash so tip number three is to have good communication skills having good communication is the key in the hospital
0: yeah, definitely. And communication skills are something that we've spoken about a lot to help you succeed in the speechy world. And I can just imagine how intimidating working in that environment in an acute care setting would be. Oh, a hundred percent. I just remember Cassie, when we worked in the
1: hospital setting and the first time I had to talk to, with the doctor, I was shitting myself. I was so scared. <laughs> so oh, I could imagine yeah. my,
0: com- my communication skills were not very good. <laughs> but I'm sure the more experience you would have having those conversations they'd probably get a lot better definitely but it's just funny because little side note
1: Cassie and I are filming but we've had to turn our video off because my internet is shocking <laughs> and it's so harsh not being able to see Cassie while we're recording this and I keep talking over her or there's like a 20-second delay because we don't know who's going to talk next.
0: (laughs) It's so hard. Anyway, that was a little off track, but what is tip number four? So tip number four is to attend professional development courses presented by gurus within the field of interest. So for example, Maggie Lee Huckerberg for dysphagia, also, please note there's no sponsorship or affiliation with that particular course, but that was just an example that we got from one of our friends who works in this field.
1: Um, and if, if anyone doesn't know who Maggie Lee Huckabird is, I believe her last name is Huckabee. Oh, oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh! <laughs> wow, I can't read. <laughs>
1: Huckabird. So if you look up Huckabed, I don't know who you're going to get, but make sure it's just Huckabee.
0: <laughs> wow, I don't know. I think I had my mouse over the script. <laughs> Thanks for confirming. <laughs> okay, so tip number
1: five is to know the difference between instrumental swallow assessments and why you would refer a patient to one over the other. But our friend Georgia has also said here Don't forget that you can do both and both give you really valuable
0: information. So that's a really great tip to keep in mind. Tip number six is to really know the typical stroke presentations. So for example, what would you expect to see with a left-sided stroke versus a right-sided stroke? Having this understanding will enable you to choose an assessment or screening tool that will be the most effective in identifying difficulties a patient is having. I don't know what any of that means, but I hope you guys <laughs> can understand <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> I think that if there is a left-sided stroke, because that's where the language centers are, then you're going to maybe assume that there's going to be more language impairments. But I think the right, you would maybe think of like dysarthria or something.
0: I have no idea. Um, oh, it's so funny do- reading
1: these tips because it really makes me realize that I've actually lost so much information for adults
0: makes me sad yeah it is really sad but at the same time you can't know everything as a speechie. I think yeah so true Cass unless you're like a superwoman
1: yeah I don't know don't know how some people work in both yeah both populations it's awesome okay tip number seven is to just be aware of eating and drinking with acknowledged risk versus comfort feeding So yes, we definitely have a role in this area and it may not be the safest or recommendations that we want the patient to follow and trust me, it happens a lot, but we do have a role to support a family and patient's wishes as hard as it is to see a patient with dysphagia trying to eat a steak. If that's their wishes, you have to try and make it the safest way possible.
0: Yeah, that would be a really hard position to be in, I think, as a speechy, working in that area. I mean, I'm assuming the legalities behind that is crazy, but like Georgia has said in these recommendations, we do have a role here as a speech pathologist to support a patient in this part of their life.
1: Definitely, Cass. And You know, I think as long as everything is documented very well in the notes and the patient and family are very educated on the risks associated, then, yeah, all we have to do is just
0: try and make it as safe and comfortable for the patient, I guess. So tip number eight is all about time management. It's a pretty common theme here as a speech pathologist. Um, So an acute hospital setting is obviously quite a busy place, you don't know what you're going to see each day so it is vital that you can prioritize tasks within your day and be flexible so i like i'm just thinking about working in a pediatric setting we know exactly who's walking through the door on that day you know we've got our booking system and we can kind of like plan as much as we want for those sessions i don't know if i would be able to have a day where i can walk into anything like that would be so stressful for me i think
1: yeah it would be fun and you know I think it would make the day a little bit exciting because you don't know what's going to happen but definitely for time management side of things it would be really hard to get used to Mm. but I guess that's also a good thing to note is that if you've got time in your day without seeing a patient make sure you get it done because you can't think oh this afternoon I have you know no patients to go and see but then imagine if you end up Having to see patients and you don't have that admin time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, anything could walk through the door. So just off the time management tip, Georgia has written here, it can be useful to have templates for your documentation if you use an electronic system. So having a basic template can save you so much time when you go to write a note. So that's, I guess, quite similar to us who work in pediatric settings who might have online systems for note writing. I know I am really guilty of like, using a lot of the information I used in the past week and then altering obviously what I've done in that session on the day. But it makes it so much quicker than having to write like an initial assessment note.
1: Yeah, so much quicker. I love just the copy previous note function. (laughs) Well, that falls nicely into the next tip. So tip number nine is about medical abbreviations.
0: Literally the death of me, but know the basics. (laughs) I remember having like a massive double-sided book of like all of these abbreviations and feeling like I had to know them all off by heart. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you need they, you have to be tested on them. But yeah, that was hard. So hard. But
1: obviously, knowing the basics, this is going to help you complete your documentation in a more timely manner. So, you know, you're not going to be writing whole words. And yeah, it is also going to help you understand the medical terminology that other allied health professionals and the medical teams are writing.
0: Yes, absolutely. Like I remember when we were working at the hospital, Ash, and the physio might have just seen the patient and it's like Toff or something. Or, like they'll write in all these abbreviations and I'm like Googling what is TOF? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even know if that was a proper thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, I used to just get jealous of how short the OT and physio's notes were and then bloody speech notes were so long. <laughs> All right, tip number
0: 10. Cassie, take it away. Okay, so the last tip is making sure that you fully understand and know the scope of other allied health professionals and medical teams. So knowing the scope of what your colleagues do is really valuable as it allows you to ensure that the patient is seeing the right professional for their symptoms, which just really ensures that the patient is getting the best care possible. Like, for example, you might have a patient who is not tolerating secretions. So you might call a physio and ask them to do chest physio to help the patient clear the secretions. And then you would also alert the medical team to assess the patient and determine if they have a new oxygen requirement or need further medical intervention. So sometimes, although our speechie role would be tolerating secretions and having a look at their oral abilities, there's a lot of like background stuff going on as well. So it's important to have a good understanding of that.
1: Which I think that this tip can definitely be applied to any population that you're working with, especially with paediatrics and knowing the scope of what other professionals... Work in and are responsible for in pediatrics is going to help so much. And also, just knowing all the different therapies out there that are available because a parent loves Googling. And if the parent comes into the session and says, Oh, what's this therapy? I thought it might be good for my child. You know, ov- obviously, it's okay to say, Oh, I'm not too sure. Let me look it up and get back to you. But if you already know, then you can, you know, give your professional opinion straight away. And it would be like, In the hospital, you can just say to the patient, oh, you know what, let me just call the physio, they can sort this out for you and then I'll come back.
0: And I think too in this like acute environment, you are working with patients who are most of the time so medically unstable. So it really is like you have to work together to get the best outcomes for the patients. All
1: right, so that was our top 10 really quick tips for working with adults in the hospital setting. It's so much valuable
0: information in those tips. Yeah, I can definitely say if I was to work in a hospital tomorrow, I would definitely need to go back to my uni notes because I would have no idea. Oh,
1: 100%. I feel like if I had to, yeah, start working in the hospital again, I would definitely need mentoring and to follow the speechy around for a few weeks just to, you know, get all the terminology back flowing in my brain. Yeah, there'd be so much to learn. Well guys, fingers crossed you gained something from these tips to help you working in acute care settings and for those of you thinking for applying for roles in the future. Obviously a lot of these skills won't come all at once
0: but you can definitely build the above skills with more clinical experience and knowledge. Yeah, it's like working in any role. I mean, obviously, it's going to be scary and overwhelming at first, but there's always mentoring and there's always people around to support you. So thanks again for listening and we will see you all next week. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode. If you'd like to stay up to date with us, then please give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Diary of a New Grad Speechy.
0: And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review below. Thanks so much. See you next week.